Well, good morning. If you're new with us, my name's Tim Deal. I'm one of the pastors here. And that, of course, was a trailer for the movie Arrival. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting. This is a unique film in a lot of ways. But in a lot of ways, it's kind of playing on some of the... Uh, the alien genre, if you will. If you, you're kind of, if you're someone who enjoys alien films, whether it's kind of the series, uh, the alien series that's gotten a reboot recently that Ridley Scott is at the helm of, um, or maybe like indie films such as The Brother from Another Planet. I don't know if you've caught that one. Uh, or even kind of large scale popular phenoms like Star Wars or Star Trek. One of the common themes that we experience when we look at these, these films that deal with aliens is what happens when we encounter the stranger. What, what forces are at play when we encounter someone that we don't know from a different place who doesn't speak our language? How does fear play in? How does communication work? What is it that leads to war and what is it that leads to peace? These are common themes that we see played out. And we see it again played out in Arrival in a pretty compelling way. Speaking of being kind of new, uh, I've had the experience throughout my life of moving a number of times, lived in a bunch of different houses, and it was largely a, a good experience. You know, it, I, for adults, the, the experience of moving is quite different for kids, and for each personality, it plays out differently. Uh, but for me, it was always kind of an adventure, right? Like, we'd be in one house for about two and a half years, and then we'd move to another one, and we'd try, like, whoa, where are we going to go now? And I remember when we moved from Florida to Pennsylvania, and I, all I knew was that New York City was in this general vicinity. And I thought, oh, so cool. We'll like, be near New York. And I had no idea what that meant. Um, but it, it was just this, this kind of new adventure. But whenever we moved, both kind of in my childhood years, but also in my adult years, we would typically move into uh, neighborhoods that were, were nice, but kind of, you know, they weren't the most expensive homes, right? So these were typically uh, homes that were in blue-collar neighborhoods that were often transitioning. And one of the interesting dynamics we would experience with our neighbors, and often it was neighbors who had been there for quite a while and had seen some of the changes that happened, was there was always this little bit of like kind of angst around who was going to get the house, who was going to move in. And, and you know, you could tell because when you came and you'd look around with the realtor, you know, they'd be poking their heads out and you know, kind, of, kind of checking you out. Uh, when the moving truck came, <laughs> they may not show up to help, but they'd kind of all be out on their porches, like, like trying to scope out the new neighbors. And often we would get variations of the same sentiment, right? Because you never, you never quite know who's going to move into the neighborhood. And, and often once I would get to know people, I'd, I'd hear some of the inside story of what, what their process was as they were kind of waiting to see who would move in. And generally it's something like, we weren't sure who was going to come in. We were kind of afraid that, that maybe you'd be one of those people who like moved in with with 10 other members of your family and 12 cars and you parked like three of them on the yard. Or, or that maybe you were going to run a meth lab out of your basement. Um, or heck, maybe you were just the kind of person who didn't mow your lawn. And we just weren't sure. And now we're really glad that you guys are here because you have a family and they can mow our lawn. So could we like pay them to come mow our, right? And so, but, but there's, there's this kind of natural experience of anxiety. It's just, it's common to us as people when we don't know someone, when there's a stranger in our midst. And there's many, many different ways that we can respond. And as we look at the teachings of Jesus, 
often we're called to respond in ways that are, are challenging to us, challenging to kind of our baser instincts, our default settings, if you will. We're beginning a, uh, a series this week that we're calling Neighbors. And we're so excited about this series that we even made a, a teaser for it um, that we showed last week, if you were with us, and we posted on Facebook, Aiden Krauss, uh, one of our guys here. Who's, you want to stay? Aiden's in the back. You want to stand up, Aiden? You can wave. We, we introduced last week. He's, I got this wrong last week. You're 12, right? I said 13 last. You're 12. Um, he's tall. So, but he, he's 12. He put this together for it. For us, he's also working on a, another video that we're going to be rolling out in a couple of weeks. It's going to feature some, some of our neighbors that you'll get to hear. So he's doing a lot of work for us. We're really proud of him, thankful for him. But you can see that if you're interested. Uh, you can go to our Facebook page, and that's posted on there. Um, but we're starting this series, Neighbors, where we're going to engage this topic of what do we do with people? What do we do with the stranger? What do we do with someone who's new to us, who's, who's our neighbor, but we don't know? And of course, this, this word neighbor uh, comes from a very kind of popular story that Jesus tells. So whether you've been in church all of your life or this is your first time and you thought you were coming to a grocery store and you walked in and you're like, this is different, um, thanks, welcome, stick around. Um, but you've probably heard this story. It's often referred to as the story of the Good Samaritan. Um, so you probably have some sense of kind of where that's going. It's, it's been a very, very popular story. It, it's a story that frames kind of fundamentally how many of us understand what it is that Jesus is getting at when he's calling us to live in relationship with God and with other people. Now, if this is an old hat story for you and you're going, ah, oh, this, I picked the wrong morning not to sleep in, I know this story, well, I would encourage you to receive the opportunity to reflect on this story as a gift. Because one of the things that's really common in our culture is we have no shortage of information, right? You can get new information all the time. In fact, if I'm boring you right now, you're probably getting some kind of new information on your phone as I speak, right? It is, we've never, in the, hum, in, in, in the course of human history, we've never had access to so much information as we do right now. And at the same time, we've never given ourselves as little time to reflect as we do right now. I was just talking with a friend this morning, and we were talking about, you know, I, I think I've confessed this many times, and this is just, again, my, my confession to you. Um, you know, whenever anybody asks how things are going, I'm not quite sure how to answer honestly without including the word busy in there at some level. I, I don't say that with pride. There's actually a twinge of shame with that, because I'm like, I should be able to figure out how to do life in such a way that... I can finish a series on Netflix once in a while, right? Like, that shouldn't be that hard, but life is just full. But as I talk to you guys, this is a common theme. Whether you, you know, whether, whether someone would look at your life from the outside and say you should be busy or not, most of us don't feel like we have any margins in our lives. And so, in a world where we have access to unprecedented amounts of information, but we lack the time to reflect. Even if this is a story you're familiar with, I would encourage you to receive this morning as an opportunity to reflect, to listen to what God might have to say to you in a new way, even if it's from a, a story you know well. So we're going to jump into uh, Luke's gospel. This is the, the third gospel, the third biography of Jesus that we come to in the New Testament. 
And we're going to start in chapter 10. We're going to look in chapter 10. Again, it's often called the, the parable of the Good Samaritan. If I were to rename it, because Jesus didn't call it that, so we can rename it. That's okay. Um, I would probably call it simply, Who is my neighbor? But it's, it's, a fascinating, it's a fascinating story. So if you have a Bible, feel free to follow along. If not, you can see that the scripture will be up on the screen. If you don't have a Bible, we really want to encourage you. We have visitor Bibles out in the, uh, in the foyer on the countertop. We encourage you to grab one of those and take them home with you today as our gift to you. So we're going to begin in uh, verse 35. Luke writes, One day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, What does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him. Do this, and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? So I want to stop there for just a second. So the guy starts out by asking Jesus kind of a standard religious question. This is not an uncommon question that people would ask of rabbis. So what does it look like? How do I inherit eternal life? Now, in this question, what he's not just saying is, oh, how do I someday go to paradise, to heaven when I die? That's kind of in it, but it's a bigger question than that. The question that would have been asked of the rabbi is not, how do I ensure that someday I go to heaven, but how do I begin right now to live the kind of life I was created for? The kind of life that goes on forever. This eternal life in, the, in, in God's kingdom, God's world. How do I begin that now in such a way that goes on forever? It's a much bigger question than simply, how do I make sure that when I die, I end up in the right spot? And so Jesus, you know, the, the great teacher that he is, throws it back on him. Well, what do you get when you read the law? And so this guy's a good student. He responds with, with what they would have called the, the Shema. The, it was a Hebrew prayer that they, even to this day, um, devout Jewish people will pray regularly throughout the day. And it's, it comes from the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 4 to 6. Deuteronomy is in the, the Old Testament. It's one of the, first, one of the first books you come to. In Deuteronomy, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. And it goes on to talk about the necessity of having these, this, this love for God with heart, soul, mind, and strength to permeate everything that you do throughout the day. And this is something that they would pray again regularly throughout the day, multiple times. But then he adds this piece. It's kind of an amendment. This love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus is like, ding, 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 ding. You got it. Well done. Good job. Right? Like, this is key. This, this is the thing. You, you figured it out. Love God. Love your neighbor. They're not two separate things. They're, they're connected. They come together. This was such a central part of Jesus' teaching that later one of Jesus' followers, John, in one of his letters, wrote this. He said, anyone who does not love God, or I'm sorry, anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. That's in 1 John 4, 8. 
that there's this way in which those two things are actually inseparable. Loving God necessitates loving your neighbor. Which sounds really nice to us, and I'm sure it sounded really nice to him, too, right? Like, who doesn't, who doesn't think you ought to love your neighbor? I mean, that's a fairly kind of popular opinion right now. You should love your neighbor. We all want to do that, right? It's kind of like, we all want to be healthy. Everyone wants, everyone wants, if you ask anybody, like, would you prefer to be A, healthy, B, unhealthy? Take your time. Right? Everybody wants to be healthy. But being healthy is, is hard. It's not easy. It takes discipline. It takes work. I was, I was at a, 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 an establishment that serves donuts not long ago. And I was talking to, because I care about being healthy. Um, and I was talking to uh, the, the guy who owns the business. And he was showing me some of his creations. He does some fun things with them. And so he's, he's like creating this amazing kind of donut thing with like ice cream in the middle. Uh, and I was like, I was just, I was like, dude, you are the Michelangelo of donuts. This is amazing. Uh, it's great. People must love this stuff. And he's like, yeah, everybody loves it. Cause here's the funny thing about people. We all want to be healthy, but we want to eat like crap. And I was like, that is amazingly deep as I'm taking bites of my donut, right? Um, but it's true, right? Everybody, you want to be healthy, but being healthy is hard work. I mean, it takes, it takes the discipline to choose the thing that might not taste as good to, to opt for the thing that doesn't taste as good. It, it, it's the discipline of saying no when you want to say yes. It's maybe choosing to spend more of your resources on food and not having those to spend other places because what you eat you think is important. That, that's hard work. Changing how we eat, deciding, realizing, like becoming like me and you get to your, your late 30s, soon to be 40, and go, you know, there's this thing, metabolism, and it's just not quite working with me like it used to. And realizing you might have to take some, make some adjustments. That's hard work. I was texting with a friend. It was funny. I was, um, I was talking. Uh, so I'm working on my sermon. And at the same time, I had, I had texted a friend uh, about his, it was his birthday this week. And I was like, hey, happy birthday. And he's like, I was like, you doing anything fun? And he said, yeah, we're going to this place. And I was like, oh, if you go there, you've got to eat this thing. And of course, it wasn't the salad that I recommended. Um, and he said, yeah, I think my doctor would disagree with you. And of course, I responded something about like, who cares what your doctor says? Just make sure you eat this with it because it'll be better, right? And he responded, you're not helping. You know, and I don't know if you've ever had one of those conversations where you're like, oh, he's serious. Like, I should, I'm actually not helping. Um, right, because it's hard. If you've had that conversation with your doctor or you've made that decision where you're like, suddenly, you know, I, I, want, I, wanna, I wanna be healthy, I wanna make different choices that are better for me, that's not easy stuff. It's difficult. It's hard work. And so is love. Like, we all want love to be easy. And frankly, we all think that love should be easy. And I think this guy, when he asks the question, who is my, my neighbor? You know, if I were him, I'm going to project for a minute. If I were him, 
I think, I'm pretty sure I know the answer to this, right? Because neighbor, if, if you think about neighbor, probably immediately your mind goes to the neighbor that you like, right? The neighbor who it's, it's easiest to like. Like if I say love your neighbor, you might think about that neighbor who occasionally comes over to watch Monday Night Football with you. Right? That guy, I can, yeah, of course I love that guy. I mean, wouldn't say it that way, but you know, we, I like him. Um, or maybe it's you think of the neighbor, that, like the, the, the older woman who lives at the end of the street who sometimes you, you kind of see her struggling to get her groceries in and you're like, yeah, no, I, I'm going to take the five minutes and I'm going to go help her get her groceries in the house. Or I'm going to shovel her sidewalk when it snows. That lady, I love her. Or, or, or maybe it's, I, I don't know, the... The, the couple down the road who just had the cute baby and you decide to take them a meal. Well, I, yeah, I love them. Most of us, when we hear the, the love your neighbor thing, our, our minds immediately go to those neighbors that it's easy for us to love, right? Sure, I love my neighbor. That's where the next question is really helpful. Luke tells us that wanting to justify himself, this guy asks the question, who is my neighbor? And then Jesus tells the story that we're all kind of familiar with. Luke writes, Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn, where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, Take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. Oh, those neighbors. See, Jews and Samaritans had a nasty history of not getting along. This went back generations. It was a little bit like the Hatfields and the McCoys. There was this long-storied history of these people hating one another, occasionally coming to blows, violence breaking out. Neither side respected the other. These were not the kind of neighbor you were hoping Jesus would point to. But Jesus says, when I'm talking neighbor, I mean him. I mean her. I mean them. And I think for us, as we come to this story, the question for us is that same question. Who is my neighbor? Who is it that we are being invited to love? And part of that is tied up 
in Jesus using the least likely person, the person we're most inclined to dismiss, to say is different, is other, is not the one. Clearly, that's not the person Jesus is talking about. Jesus says, actually, that's exactly who I'm talking about. When you ask the question, who is my neighbor, the person you most hope is not the answer is probably the answer. It's that person. It's them. But I think this also raises another question for us. And that question is, so what does that mean to love my neighbor? What does it mean to love that person who I don't really like, who gets on my nerves, who I don't understand? And, and this is where it's easy for us to kind of let ourselves off the hook. Because we read this story and we think, you know, if I walked down the street and I saw that person bleeding, lying in a gutter, I'd stop and help. Like, at least I would dial 911. I mean, I'm not going to leave somebody, even if I hate them, I'm not going to leave somebody laying on the street bleeding to death. So clearly, I love my neighbor. Like, I'm, I pass. I'm good. Maybe. But I think the problem for us is that when we think love, we often reduce love down to a token gesture. That love becomes being nice, doing something kind, but doing it in a way, in such a way as it keeps us kind of safe and clean and distant, but allows us to pat ourselves on the back and feel like we're not horrible people. That's love. But that's not the picture of love that we get when we look at the teachings of Jesus, when we look at the life of Jesus. In Jesus, the picture of love we get is one of self-sacrifice. It's, it's the picture of the cross. One who gives himself in love even for those who would kill him. In Jesus, loving your neighbor is a costly act. It's a messy act. It's an act that gets you involved much more than you would want to be. It causes you to get your hands dirty. The love of Jesus is impossible to do from a distance. It has to be done in proximity. Now, granted, if you look at the, the outline we get of this, this story, the Good Samaritan story, it's not like we see some kind of relationship that happens that we can mirror our kind of, you know, our, our relationship with our coworkers or our actual neighbors if they're not lying in a ditch somewhere. It's not laid out in that way. Right? Like, we see the Samaritan kind of giving of his, his resources, his time to help this person who is hurting. But I do think we see something pretty key in this story that we need to notice. I don't know if you noticed when we were reading through it, but there's, there's something that happens for the Samaritan that doesn't happen for the other two. Right? Like the other two people who walk by, they notice. They recognize that there's a thing, there's a situation but they keep going. The Samaritan looks, and Luke writes what Jesus says, he felt compassion for him. There's this thing that happens for the Samaritan where he, he's moved with compassion towards the guy laying in the ditch. He sees the person as a human being 
worthy of his time and energy and resources. Not because he has anything to offer. He has nothing to offer. He's naked and bleeding in a ditch. But as he looks at this person, he sees a human, uh, an image bearer of God, who he feels compassion for. He's moved by compassion to involve himself in such a way as to meet the needs of this guy. He actually sees him. He doesn't just notice, he sees. And I think the challenge for us as we think about what it means to love our neighbor is the question of what does it look like to actually see others with compassion? Not to simply recognize who they are and be kind to them, but to be moved with compassion by the needs of people around us, even those that we don't like, maybe even especially those that we don't like, to learn to see them in a way that humanizes them, that grows our empathy, our understanding, and our willingness to take a step toward them, even if at one time we saw them as the enemy. It allows us to feel the sting of love. It pulls us into the the sacrificial kind of love that Jesus shows us in his in his teachings, but ultimately in his death. It's the kind of love that draws us to, to carve out space in our lives for that person on the street who has all the wrong bumper stickers on their car and put all the wrong political signs in their yard. That person who you immediately stopped talking to in November, that one. What does it look like for you to create space in your life for them? Or um, maybe it's those teenagers in the neighborhood who you're a little wary of, kind of feel like sometimes they're up to no good. It's crossing the streets and treating them like people, not like problems. It's putting an arm around one of them, three of them, and getting to know them, taking time to invest in them. Not seeing them as an issue, but as people with potential and lives. Maybe it's opening up your home to that estranged family member that no one else will talk to because they said that one thing that one time. And you're not particularly fond of that one thing that they said either. And you don't really want to be that person in the family who opens your home to them because then you're that person. But maybe it's doing it anyway choosing to love and listen and walk with them, even though you don't like what they said either. Or maybe it's that family that moved in down the street who doesn't speak English very well. And you know that having them into your house would actually be really uncomfortable because you only speak English and not that well. But you do it anyway. You, you take the risk to invite them over, to, to make some food, to spend some time, even though you don't feel like you have it. You do. And we could go on and on with examples. But I think the call for us as we look at this story is to recognize that when Jesus invites us to love our neighbor, he's inviting us to encounter God in new ways in people who are really different than we are. In one of the other Gospels, Matthew's Gospel, uh, in chapter 25, there's another kind of famous story, especially if you're someone who's kind of 
been in church world or have read the Bible, there's this time where um, Jesus talks about the last judgment, when everyone will stand before God. And at that moment, Jesus says, one of the things we're going to realize is that however we responded to people who were hungry or thirsty, the stranger, the naked, the sick, the imprisoned, however we responded to anyone in need, we will suddenly realize that there was some mysterious way in which we responded to Jesus in that moment. Or as Jesus said, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. That our response to the person in need is our response to Jesus. Again, loving God and loving others are not two separate things. They are tied together. Loving other people is not something that we do to make God happy. It's not like a task, a chore that God gives us. Okay, because you love me, here's your chore list. Okay, be nice to, you know, to puppies and love your neighbor. And like, right, it's not the thing that we do so that God checks it off and says, oh, you were a good boy, you were a good girl. There's something about living in love toward our neighbor that we find that it's in that act of loving our neighbor that we're actually loving God. It's not the only way in which we learn to love God, but we can't do it without that. It's irreplaceable. We love God and we love our neighbor, and they're not two different things. As Tony Campolo, uh, pastor, speaker, writer, says, Jesus waits to be encountered in those we call our neighbor. Jesus waits to be encountered in those we call our neighbor. And if we're to take Jesus seriously in the story that he tells, not just in the nice neighbors, not in the neighbors that we think most look like what we would imagine Jesus would be, but maybe in the ones that least resemble Jesus, we most find him. In the ones that calls us to the the greatest amount of compassion and self-giving and humility, and grace. Maybe it's in those relationships that we come to find the one who gave so much and offers so much grace to us. So who is, who is your neighbor? Who is my neighbor? I think this is the, the question for us as we reflect on this throughout the week. As you kind of go out this morning, my hope and prayer for you is that you spend some time this week thinking, praying that question. Who is my neighbor? And allowing God to begin to answer that for you, to to maybe point out someone, to bring someone to mind, a family, an individual, that you could be moved with compassion towards, in whom you might encounter Jesus in some specific way. This is our hope in, in some larger way for this series that we're starting. Uh, Again, if you've been around or or if you get our emails, you would have seen this. Uh, Starting next week, a number of our our services over the next three or four weeks are going to look pretty different because we're going to have some guests coming in. Next week, we're having a a pastor from a church called El Portico in the city who's going to come, and and I'm going to interview him, and then he's going to give a a brief sermon with an interpreter. 
they're, they're a Spanish-speaking congregation, and so he's going to be with us next week. And then immediately after that, so we're going to end probably a, a shade early next week, um, and then anybody who wants to is welcome to come down with us as we go down to worship with them. Their service begins at 1130, um, and some of us are going to go down and spend some time with them. I'm actually going to preach. So I know if you're really disappointed that you don't get to hear me again, you can come down with us and you can hear me. And I'll preach with an interpreter, which will be the first time I've ever done that. So that'll be fun. Um, so we're doing that next week. Um, we're going we're gonna to have a representative here from Safe Burks who's going to come and, uh, on Mother's Day. And we're still going gonna to spend Mother's Day honoring our mothers. And we're also going to have them share a little bit about the work that they're doing to help particularly battered women and children and, and how we're partnering with them as a church in ways that we can continue to do that well. On the 21st, we're going to have someone here. Um, Roy Larson is a guy who works with an organization called, called Immigrant Hope. And, and he's worked with people in the city um, and they're, they're looking to help create um, affordable avenues for people to get their legal citizenship. And he's got stories of ways they've been working with people um, in the community here. And he's going to come and share with us a little bit on that morning, too. And then the following week, on the 28th, uh, we're going to have um, a couple people who are going to actually represent different faith traditions. Um, Rabbi Brian Michelson from uh, the Temple Oheb Shalom in Why Missing. And then El Sayed El Marzuki is a, a local businessman who started the, the Islamic Prayer Center in the city. And we're going to have them come, and we're going to spend the morning on the 28th actually in a dialogue together where we're going to talk about what does it look like to be people who have actual differences. We're not saying this is all the same, there's nothing different. There are distinctives about what we believe. What does it look like for us to live as neighbors with one another, to live in love, even with people we disagree with? And so... I'm pretty excited about this series. It's going to be pretty new for us. We've never done anything like this. Uh, but I think it's going to be a, a really great time to engage this question of who is my neighbor individually? Who is our neighbor as we think as a, as a church community who represents Christ in our community? What does it look like to live that out among people um, who are very different than we are? So I think this is going to be a, a really good time together. I encourage you to come. If you have questions about any of that, um, I'd love for you to you know, uh, ask me. You can ask me this morning. You can email me. Um, yeah, I'd love to dialogue with you about that. All right. Well, Jesus, it, when we think about this story, beyond just, hey, it's this nice story about a guy who one time helped somebody who got beat up, but when we been, begin to actually think about our lives and, and the real black and white kind of concrete, what does it look like for me to love my neighbor? There are all sorts of challenging questions that arise. So, Father, would you walk with us as we ask that question? I pray, first of all, for my friends here that they would have the courage to ask the question, who is my neighbor? And as they do, that you would walk them through who you might be inviting them to love and what that might look like for them. And as they do so, I pray that each of us would encounter you more fully, that you would become increasingly real in our lives, as we reach out and love those who are hard to love, our neighbors, whoever that might be. Fill us with your spirit. Give us strength. Give us courage, we pray in Jesus' name.